Greetings. I trust that you are well as this message reaches your heart today. I want to thank you for taking the time off to listen to another portion of God's Word. And I am humbled that God have decided to use me to bless your hearts this morning through His words. My name is Dillian Bellot. I'm current evangelist of the Grosley Church of Christ, and I thank you for listening to this message. Today I want to draw your attention to the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 2. In there, I'd like to share with you a lesson. There the scripture tells us, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, and when he had fasted forty days, and forty nights he was a hungry. May we say, Amen. I would like to share a lesson with us today entitled, To Empty Yourself. To do that, I would like to share with you, or rather ask four questions of the text, which will bring about the lesson's title, and the intended message to our hearts this morning. The first question, why did Jesus go up to the wilderness? Then the second, who led him to the wilderness? Three, what happened in the wilderness? And four, why the wilderness? Again, our lesson today is entitled, To Empty Yourself. In life, sometimes, you find different different answers to the same questions. Sometimes the answers we give comes about simply based on the perspective that we hold. In grammar, relating to the English language and relating to perspective, we are taught that there are three point of views. The first point of view is the I-we perspective. This, that's the first person. Then we have the second person perspective. That's the you perspective. And then the third person, which is the he, she, it, or they perspective. As we use these different views of perspective within the three persons, we will hopefully appreciate why Jesus went into the wilderness what happened in the wilderness, and how that may apply or benefit you and I. If anything, hopefully it will bring uh, an understanding of a perspective other than ours as to why we may go through the things we sometimes go through, and even hopefully learn to appreciate that perspective. Question number one is why did Jesus go up to the wilderness? Someone may answer saying he went up to fast. And that answer would be correct. Because the Bible tells us that he indeed fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights. And that would be one point of view in answering this question, why did Jesus go up to the wilderness? 
Answer number two might be, he went up in the wilderness or to the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And that in itself would also be another correct answer. Notice that thus far we have had two different perspectives and that they can both be right. Is there a lesson to be learned there? I believe yes. Not every time that we disagree means that someone must be wrong and another is right. Sometimes when discussing, sometimes we disagree, it is possible for separate persons of opposing view to both be right. Simply because they are seeing things from different perspectives. Things are not always seen from your perspective. Things can be viewed from different perspectives. Sometimes we need to learn to see and perhaps even appreciate things from another person's perspective or point of view. At the time of the at the end of the day, we are better off if we seek not only if we seek not to make it about me or just about me and you, but about God. Meaning we are better off when we decide that the best perspective is not mine or yours, but God's. I'd like to offer a third perspective as to why Jesus went up to the wilderness. And that is, he needed to be emptied. Again, because he needed to be emptied. Matthew says, says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. And that much is true. But I propose to you that Jesus also needed to be emptied. That even beneath the obvious details revealed in the scripture about the events which took place in Matthew chapter 4, lies a not so obvious reason for Jesus having been led to the wilderness. And that reason was that he needed to be emptied. The wilderness may have been the cause, but the effect of being there was the emptying of himself. The plan was for Jesus to face the temptation of the devil, but the plan was also to prepare Jesus for the temptations and his ministry by emptying him of himself while in the wilderness and while he was fasting and praying. It was a plan within a plan by the one who sees all things. How can I help you to see this more clearly? We can see things more clearly when we continue to ask the questions, look at the questions being asked. Who led Jesus up into the wilderness? The third person's perspective might say, the devil led him to the wilderness to be tempted, to tempt him. And this may also be the first person's perspective if you're asking the devil that question. He might say, I led Jesus into the wilderness so that I could tempt him. And yet, from another's perspective, Jesus might say, I led myself up to the wilderness to fast and pray. But the fact of the matter is, Matthew chapter 4 verse 1, 
tells us that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Therefore, it was the Holy Spirit who led him into the wilderness. Not even Jesus would have been right in saying that he led himself into the wilderness. In the story of his own life, Jesus shared the perspective not of the first person, but the second person. Hold on, what you might say. What do you mean the second person? Shouldn't Jesus have been the first person? The short answer is no. He could have been, but the first person in this story was God the Father. It was true in the life of Jesus, and even in the stories of our lives, we are not always in control, as we think we often are. God is. We are not in the driver's seat. God is. Sometimes when things happen in our lives, what we often like to do is blame the devil, especially when things are not going very well. And in doing so, we sometimes give the devil too much credit. Often, Satan only comes along for the ride or to take advantage of an already difficult situation. And it is often when you are already down that Satan comes around to try to finish you or kick you when you're down, as they say. So when things are bad, this is often the case. When the outcome is negative, we say Satan is to be blamed. And when things turn out for good, then we tend to take credit and forget that we often are not the first person in the story of our lives, but rather God is. You see, it is God who keeps us safe while we are asleep. That's why he's the first person. It is he who wakes us up each and every morning. It is the gift of life that God affords us, which gives us and enables us to move in the land of the living. And in our minds it's simple. If it is bad, then it's the devil. If it's good, it's because of me. But the reality is that God is the one in control. That nothing happens without his knowledge or he allowing it. Even the things which seem bad, he may not have caused it to happen, but he allows it to happen. I'll say it again. You are not the first person in the story of your own life. God is. If you keep thinking that you are, then you are setting yourself up for failure. This life is not so much about you as much as it is about God and what God wants from you or the plans he has for you where he leads you and where God God wants you to be. And to prove that, I want you to know that, come what may, if you and when you are gone, life will continue. If you shall depart this earth, life will go on without you. People will continue to live, to work, to love, to have fun, and everything will move on despite you. That's one sure way to know, indeed, that this life is not as much about you as you might think it is. The reality of the matter is that God is in control. It is about God. And when we fail to see that, 
it simply means that we are losing sight of, of the reality of the matter. We now hold free perspective to this story. We have the Jesus perspective, perhaps another perspective might be the devil's perspective, and we have those who are a third person looking on uh, perspective. And now I have presented to you a third perspective, which is to be emptied of himself. Jesus fasted and prayed, and he was tempted by the devil, but also Jesus was emptied by the Holy Spirit and the Father. Jesus needed to be emptied by the Father so that he could be used by him. But why, you might ask? The answer is simple. Because that's what we do to things we intend to use. We empty them so that we can use them. But what did Jesus have to be emptied of, you might ask. And that would be a fair question. What about his life or his love for his family? His mother and father and the attachment, the attachment which he may have had with them and others. Could that in some way have been something that God needed him to be free of in order for him to fulfill or accomplish God's plan and purpose in his life? It was Jesus himself who said, He that loves mother or father more than me is not worthy of me. One cannot prove to me in any way, shape or form that Jesus did not love his mother or his family and even his friends. One of the most difficult things for me about the crucifixion of Jesus is recorded in the book of John 19.25. It is one of the most heart-wrenching things in the scriptures. And that was Jesus, while on the cross, looking down at his mother and saying to her, Mother, behold thy son. Can you imagine how difficult this would have been for Jesus? Imagine for a moment any other man who is looking at his mother in tears. It is difficult for any man to witness such a sight. And I know for a fact that I would move heaven and earth to help free my mother from any agonizing pain and tears. So therefore I could only imagine if Jesus loved his mother, even a fraction of how we love our mothers, that it would be needful for him to have emptied himself of the attachment in his heart and mind in whatever way possible in preparation for that which was ahead. And so we see Jesus on the cross looking at his mother and yet still he is able to withhold himself from calling upon 10,000 angels to deliver him from what he's going through. Perhaps he needed to be to empty himself of his love for people or his love for helping those who are in need. Jesus loved people and, and knew both their hearts and minds and their needs. And he was always willing to help. In Matthew twelve fifteen, the Bible tells us, But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from hence. And you know what? A great multitudes followed him and he healed them all. And again, Luke 4, verse 40, Now when the sun was setting, all they that had any sick 
with diverse disease brought them unto him, and he laid his hand on them and healed every one of them. Throughout his ministry, Jesus built no houses, he bought no lands, he never got married, did not build a family, because he was focused on the will of God and the needs, the physical needs of the people of his time. And that's what he spent his time doing. Helping, healing. At the death of Lazarus, the scripture tells us, Jesus wept. It was Martha who said to him, Lord, if thou hast been there, my brother would not have died. Can you imagine if Jesus would have ag- agreed to, to, to stay and just stay another 10 years, postpone his ministry, just healing persons and, uh, and taking care of their physical needs in that sense, turning water into wine or, or multiplying bread, or he would have done much great deeds. But it was not and was never God's plan that Jesus would remain upon the face of the earth. Despite the fact that there were still people who had needs that he could have helped, God had another plan in store for him. Perhaps Jesus needed to be emptied of his own will. Did Jesus have his own will? Did he have a desire separate from the Father's? The scripture gives us a hint to that answer. Matthew chapter 26 verse 39 tells us, And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. One could only imagine that facing the cross of Calvary was not an easy thing. And Jesus, the Bible tells us, as he prayed in Gethsemane, his sweat were as drops of, drops of blood. But yet still he, he pressed on saying, not my will, but thine will be done. I submit to you that it was possible and even necessary for Jesus to have been prepared for the glory of God by being emptied of the things which could have otherwise slowed him down, brought doubt into his mind, hold him back, hinder him, or prevent him in any way, shape, or form from the plans which God had in store for him. If there were things in the life of Jesus which needed to be emptied so that he could fulfill the plan of God, that he could become the person that God wanted him to become. My question to you today is, what about you? In the second book of Titus chapter 2, verse 19 to 21, the Apostle Paul says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having the seal, that the Lord knoweth them that are his, and that everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these things, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good 
work. Not all of us are fit for the master's use. Sometimes we carry along too much baggage which makes us unsuitable for the purpose that God wants to use us. Therefore, it is important for us to be purged of these things, which in the sight of God makes us unsuitable. Sometimes we need to be emptied of our attachments, pride, love for self, our vices and lusts, our own selfish desires. These are all things which keep us back from fulfilling God's purpose in our lives, from us becoming the people that God wants us to be. Are there things in your life which needs which needs to be emptied so that God can use you? We need to focus on that which is important, to be freed from the distractions in our lives, to see clearly the purpose to which God calls us, so that we can be fit for the Master's use. As we press on, we now ask the question, why the wilderness? The wilderness reveals the truth about us. It tells us who we truly are. A man does not truly know himself or who he is nor what he is capable of unless he has been through some sort of wilderness. You see, because comfort makes us unwilling to change. Change does not come about with ease. Change comes along, comes along with pain and difficulties and that's not found in the hotels, but in the wilderness. Because being comfortable often makes us lazy, as opposed to giving us the strength and to make us strong. It is in the wilderness, that place of discomfort, that gets us moving. And such was the case of the apostles and the early church, the early Christians in Jerusalem. Until God allowed persecutions to move them in accordance to his will. The wilderness is also a place that is free of distraction. It is the type of environment which helps put things in proper perspective. In each of our lives and from time to time, God leads us to the wilderness. It is only fair that we also ask, what about fasting and praying? The Holy Spirit was responsible to leading Jesus into the wilderness, but what he chose to do there was entirely up to him. And what did he do? He fasted and prayed. The purpose of fasting is not just to suffer, but to deny oneself of desires and physical needs, to empty oneself of our most basic need and focus all of our attentions, not on self, but on God. If fasting was beneficial to our Lord, it can also be helpful to us as well. As a rule of thumb, it might be a good idea to fast such as when we are about to face difficult circumstances as Jesus was about to, or have difficult decisions to make in our lives, or when the journey ahead of us is filled with uncertainties and challenges. It is also a good idea to fast when we need renewed faith 
spiritual clarity, or just a closer relationship with our God. Like the wilderness, fasting helps reveal and empty us of weaknesses and that which holds us back, while at the same time it helps to strengthen us where we are weak and help prepare us to be used by God to be fit for His service. As I wrap this lesson up, we often will not empty ourselves until we are led to do so by God through the wilderness. And by that I mean, and I speak of the difficult circumstances of life such as we might be going through right now. If you find yourself in some dry and barren wilderness, do not murmur or complain, but rather trust in God's plan for your life. If you are in Christ and God, then God has not brought you into this, into this desert to starve you. He has brought you here to teach you that man does not live by bread alone. To remind you that this life is not just about you and your needs. To remind you that your life, your hope, and your joys are not to be found in yourself or the things of this world, but in the Christ who died and rose again to save you from your sins. My friends, if God brought you to it, he will see you through it. And you will come out better and stronger than when you walked in. This much I know is true. Sometimes, You've got to be emptied of yourself for God to fill you up with himself. I trust that as you go through the circumstances of this life, that you may see things a little better from God's perspective and that you may continue to trust in him. I know it may not always be easy, and you may have to cry and you may have to mourn a little and that's okay. But continue to trust in God who loves you. For he has said that I will not leave you nor will I forsake you. For he has written, he, he written in his word that all things work together for good to them who love him. Trust in God. Trust in his will. If you are in the wilderness... Rely upon him. Allow him to strip you of the things that slow you down and weigh you down in who you are, in who you are supposed to be, and in your service for him. And you will be better off for it. May God bless you. And I pray that his will be done in your life. Seek forgiveness of your sins for repentance. Put your faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins, Scripture tells us, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Goodbye.